from the book of Revelation. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, See, the home of God is among mortals. God will dwell with them. They will be God's peoples, and God will be with them. God will wipe every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Mourning and crying and pain will be no more, for the first things have passed away. And the one who was seated on the throne said, See, I am making all things new. Also they said, Write this, for these words are trustworthy and true. Then they said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. This is the word of God. Most obituaries begin with the details of the end of a person's life. James's grandmother, she died this past year, and her obituary began, Betty Louise Beadle, 97, of San Angelo, passed away March 27, 2018. And then most obituaries return to the very beginning of a person's life. Born on March 11, 1929, or 1921, in Vernon, Texas, to Lillian and John Wright. And then the obituary attempts in just a few paragraphs to recount or summarize a whole lifetime of living. It reminds me of that poem about a dash um, that's on the gravestone. You've probably heard this particular um, poem before. It goes like this, or it starts like this. I read of a man who stood to speak at the funeral of a friend. He referred to the dates on the tombstone from the beginning to the end. He noted that first came the date of birth and spoke the following date with tears. But he said that what mattered most of all was the dash between those years. According to the poem, our beginning and our end are not what's most spectacular about our lives. It's the dash. Today we celebrate the saints, and in our United Methodist tradition, this includes all Christian people from all places and all times, both living and especially those who have died. In particular, today we will name those who have passed away in this most recent year, and we celebrate that in Christ we are in communion with them and we celebrate that their lives, that dash, their dash that they lived so well has been a witness that has sparked faith in us and that has drawn us to God. But I would argue, I would argue that it's not their dash that's most important. I would argue that it is their beginning and their end. I am the Alpha and the Omega, Christ says from the throne of heaven. 
the beginning and the end. I'd argue that the reason that the lives of our saints so inspire faith in us is because they knew their beginning and they knew their end very well. If you read this week's churchwide email, you know that my grandmother Bowles is someone um, who inspired faith in me. She is one of my saints. She, um, I mentioned in the email that she taught me a lot of things. She taught me a lot about God and she taught me a lot about life. She taught me how to play and how to garden and how to cook and how to crochet. But the thing that most inspired my faith through her was the consistency between who she claimed God to be as loving and kind and generous and her ability to love me so well with kindness and generosity, which actually seems even more remarkable to me in light of the challenges that she faced in life. I didn't mention those in the email, but she faced a lot of challenges, like most people. A lot of challenges that caused her fear and pain and grief, sometimes anger and despair. Many of these challenges, I think, would have absolutely destroyed her, except that she knew her beginning and her end so very well. She'd grown up in an alcoholic and abusive family. She lived through the Depression. She worked in the mills while her husband was away at war. She worked really hard her whole life. I'm talking sunup to sundown, manual labor kind of hard work. She mourned her brother's suicide. She survived breast cancer twice. And she lived for the last 30 years of her life with chronic and increasingly intense pain as one after another, her vertebrae collapsed as a result of rapid bone deterioration. Someone who at one point was five feet eight inches tall by the time she died was five two. Yet, because of her faith in God, she lived an incredible dash. She filled her life with purpose and joy. She lived a dash that was inspiring to me. The book of Revelation was written by a prophet who faced challenges to communities of Christians who faced incredible challenges. Most scholars agree that John would have been writing toward the end of the first century CE, during the reign of Emperor Domitian. Some fourth century writings report that both Jews and Christians were heavily persecuted toward the end of his reign. And John's, John's audience would have experienced or been just one generation removed from the reign of Emperor Nero, which was characterized by war and tyranny. Nero was the first emperor to sponsor state-sanctioned Christian persecution. Some sources cite him as the one who executed the apostles Peter and Paul. In 68 CE, when Nero's reign ended, there was a succession of three emperors in just two years, accompanied, as you can imagine, by more wars, including the Jewish-Roman War that ended with the fall of Jerusalem and the destruction of the second Jewish temple in 70 CE. And in addition to all this political and religious unrest, there were earthquakes. Earthquakes shook Asia in the 60s. And in 79 CE, Vesuvius erupted, burying Pompey in this dark cloud 
which left everyone, as you can imagine, I'm sure, filled with a terrible sense of foreboding. Then in the early 90s, there was widespread famine. Groups of people everywhere were starving. And by the time John wrote Revelation, many Christians were again being martyred. Though there's no official record that these particular persecutions were state-sanctioned, but still, based on experience and the precarious political climate of their time, John feared that they soon would be. John introduces himself by reporting that he was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God. Patmos at that time was essentially a prison camp. Scholars hypothesized that he was there because of his witness to the Christian faith. And the churches that he wrote to, these early, newly born Christian churches all around, they were wondering how are they going to remain faithful? How are they going to remain faithful to their Christian witness in a world that is filled with all these challenges, in a world where they might be persecuted for that witness? They needed something to hang on to. They were desperate for any glimpse of hope. In the wake of a series of hurricanes, during our season of hurricanes, and what seemed like constant natural disasters all around the world. After last Saturday's shooting at the Tree of Life Synagogue, one of so many shootings, shootings that have come to feel familiar, unfortunately. In light of so many people who are displaced from their homes or who are fleeing oppression or persecution, in light of what seems to be an increase in discrimination of all kinds, and in the face of increasing economic disparities, in anticipation of this coming Tuesday's elections, we may all be longing for these same things. We may be all wondering, how do we remain faithful? How do we hang on to hope? In the midst of all the challenges that we face, both personally and as a community, as a society, we might be looking for something to hang on to. We may be longing for hope. Well, it's in the midst of these same sorts of realities, in the midst of just such spiritual and emotional turmoil that John, on the island of Patmos, receives a vision from God. And it's a vision of our ultimate hope. That's right, the book of Revelation, the apocalypse, it is a vision of hope. I know it's hard to believe because the way it's portrayed in movies and in books, and by those who claim to be able to predict the end of the world by deciphering its code, it's hard to believe, but that is its intended purpose. Because of its portrayal in movies and novels, we associate the word apocalypse with the end of the world. And while it's often written to people who feel like the world is coming to an end, the literal translation of the word apocalypse is revelation. In the case of Christian apocalyptic literature, it refers to divine revelation. It's a peek behind the curtain. It's an opportunity to see or to glimpse God's reality. 
Apocalyptic literature is characterized by surreal images and symbols and bizarre visions, and it's always written in times of extreme crisis to people who are experiencing defeat and despair. These bizarre visions attempt to offer an experience of reality from God's perspective. Because while things appear to be coming to an end from our perspective, God says, see, I am making all things new. In the wake of the Jewish defeat in Jerusalem and the destruction of their temple, the only place where Jews of that time believed they could be in the presence of God, in the midst of that reality, God inspires a vision of the new Jerusalem, a glorious city descending from heaven. When God seems completely and totally absent and all hope seems lost, there is a loud voice from the throne that assures us, see, the home of God is among mortals. God will dwell with us. We will be God's peoples. And God will be with us. In the face of deep grief, even in the face of death, we are promised God will wipe away every tear. Death will be no more. Mourning and crying and pain, a thing of the past. When from our perspective, nothing makes any sense at all and everything seems lost, when we are faced with our end or the end of someone that we love dearly, God says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the one in whom all beginnings and all endings exist. I am your hope. The one from whom you originate and to whom you are destined. When we lose our saints, when they depart this life, what for us feels like an end, it is for our dearly departed a beautiful and eternal beginning. A beginning that's lived in the singular and spectacular light of Christ's love, their beginning and their end. My grandmother Bowles knew that in life and in death, she belonged to God. Each of the saints we love, they knew their beginning and their end. And there is no greater hope. On our tombstones or in our obituaries, there will be dates that mark the beginning and the end of our lives. But it is God who is our beginning and our end, and in whom we have life, in whom we live our dash, a dash that is not always easy, a dash that is often riddled with challenges. Still, those who know Christ, 
who know their beginning and their end very well live amazing dashes. They live courageous dashes. I want to live an audacious dash. A dash that celebrates life even in the face of death. And all the people said, Amen. Well, we are so glad that you are with us. My name is Kurt Davis. I am the Director of Community Engagement and Program Development here at the church. And I want to invite you to do something at the end of your row. We have a registration pad, and we'd love for you to pick that up and sign in. Uh, and as it passes down, uh, put as much information as you feel comfortable with. But then on the way back, as it comes back, I want you to send that thing back and look at the names. If you don't recognize somebody in your row, uh, go ahead and find out what their name is and maybe greet them by name at the end of the service. I know that would be greatly appreciated. And then also, if you are viewing with us online, uh, I would love to invite you to sign in online as well. You can click that uh, little I button on the top of your screen and sign in right there. You can also uh, give if you would like as well. Well, a few things that I want to share with you uh, that are coming up. Uh, the first thing, right after this service in the library right next to uh, the worship center here, we will be doing a meet and greet. So if you are newer to Westlake United Methodist Church, we would love to, uh, to have a chance to connect with you, uh, to shake your hand, give you a little bit of information, and answer any questions. So if that's something uh, if, that you have not participated in and you'd love to, to make that connection with us, we would love to make that connection with you. So join us in the library right next to this room immediately following the service. Uh, we have a community meal coming up on uh, Sunday the 18th. Uh, how many of you love comfort food? Yeah, who doesn't love to be comforted? We're having a baked potato bar. Uh, thank you so much to our fellowship committee for making this happen. But on Sunday the 18th, immediately following this service, about 12, 15 p.m., we'll gather in the gym, uh, and it's going to be fantastic. So join us, spend some time building community.